Bird feel. Welcome to Bait Switch Radio, a brainless podcast about swimming and industrial superstructures. Bait Switch invites you to write about music, dance about architecture, eat your oatmeal with a fork, and do your homework in the dark. Today we're talking about color, superheroes, things that inspire us, and mutts. I'm Cody Van Winkle. I'm... Oh God, what is it again? That is my name. <laughs> this is hard. Fuck. And I'm Lucy Lena. So you wrote a really awesome blog post today about about primary versus secondary colors and how mm-hmm. we think about those colors in our wardrobes. And primary colors are worn by heroes. Secondary colors are worn by villains. Yes, and there's not a lot of variation from that. It's they they stick pretty closely to that in the superhero milieu. Whoever mentioned this to me or wherever I read it, uh, it didn't go so far as to look into societal implications. Uh, And then a couple of years ago, I had um, a a run of bad luck, uh, and part of it included uh, crashing my bike and hurting my face. And and I was already like in a bad spot at that time anyway. And so it occurred to me, this sounds like like a supervillain origin story. (laughs) This is the part where I turn. Oh, no. And then then he became the Cody. (laughs) Yes. Hashtag Dark Cody. This is when I used to be on Twitter a lot, and I tried to get Dark Cody to happen uh, because I felt like I was transforming into something evil. Uh, And then that's when I noticed that I tend to wear a lot of green and purple. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just don't like to wear warm colors. I'm willing to now, but at the time, red, orange, and yellow were completely off the table. And so uh, if you're looking at cool colors, then two of the three main ones seem to be villainous. So I've been really interested in this idea ever since, because that was the first time I realized that this color theory can also impact, you know, our life outside of fiction. It's interesting, too, because, I mean, I think about business, business literature that I've read, like there's one classic where the author says that um, if you if you have a really important meeting and I follow this advice, <laughs> you have to wear blue and white with occasional bits of red. Interesting. That is what you wear. That's the that, that, that is the power outfit. They've pinpointed it's exactly this it. to that. And I I definitely fulfill that sometimes you know a little facetiously to myself like I'll wear a skirt with blueberries on it. Um, <laughs> Like, that counts. I'm like, I'm following the advice. Yeah, your colors are right. Even if <laughs> the imagery fruit, might be seen fruit, as fruit whimsical, <laughs> but still counts. But that's interesting. And that kind of like, that follows, it's like, oh, don't you want to, do you want to do business with somebody who's wearing these like very straightforward colors, mm-hmm. hero color, and that, that just, I don't know. It's interesting to think about that in terms of hero and, and villain. I wonder how this would 
how this would play out if we lived in a country where our flag wasn't red, white, and blue.、Mm. Because a lot of、um, it, it gets it gets mixed together. This interest in being patriotic. So if you see a televised debate, they're always wearing red and blue. <clears throat> uh, but if we were in Brazil, then、mm-hmm. I wonder: would they wear green to show patriotism, or would we subconsciously think that that means that they're, you know, a lizard in disguise? Right, and I guess that you're right. That goes back to, I mean, comics are. I mean, that's an American tradition, right? I think comics、mm-hmm. and jazz are the only things that America has to. Actually, contribute to the conversation. Yeah, the that's what Art Spiegelman said in a speech that I saw him do recently. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> hey, he knows. He knows. <laughs> He's Art Spiegelman. <laughs> uh, I uh, have an old friend who told me that、uh, she was she worked in this place where all of the、uh, her fellow managers, when she became a manager,、uh, all of them were men except for her, and so she deliberately wore all black. Maybe with a little bit of charcoal in there, but she <laughs> felt that I think she probably read somewhere that that will make her read as professional, and so the other dudes in the office could wear whatever they wanted. But she, of course, needed to put more effort into keeping up in order to even be seen as an equal. So she actually was the most formally dressed because、uh, she was always in black turtlenecks and slacks and. <laughs> Other office separates other black black clothing. Yeah, yeah. Of course, black has all kinds of connotations beyond being professional.、Mm-hmm. Uh, we think that it means funerals, and uh, uh, it can mean like death-related grim reapery things, and and etc.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting to think about in the superhero realm. I mean, who wears black? Catwoman. Yeah. Batman. Right.、Mm-hmm. Black Panther. Black Panther. Back in the day, they in order to make black look shiny, they'd put blue on it,、hmm. right?、Um, like Wonder Woman's hair, it's a little bit black and a lot blue.、Mm-hmm. At least back then it was, and、uh, it's not that she actually had blue hair. That's just how they used color to add to highlights highlight. and、yeah. make it look make it look blacker.、Uh, I'd read that、um, Beast in the X Men comics was supposed to have black fur. But because they put so much blue on it, everyone just assumed his fur was blue, and then it became canon that yeah, he's blue. I love that, and it's interesting that they didn't that they didn't use purple because you know, like for a highlight, you know,、mm-hmm. like is I think of when I think of a highlight for black, I definitely don't think of blue, you know. Sure. So, but that it's interesting and and totally goes with that、um, hero thing of of like. Because purple might have made it seem compromised. <laughs> maybe, maybe. When I see purple, I think royalty.、Mm. That's that's a reason why I like to wear purple、mm-hmm. because I am very important. <laughs> yes. And、uh, I've always admired Magneto because even in different costumes, he has always worn a lot of purple. And I think it's because he thinks it makes him look regal. And even though, at least. Around here, purple often seems sort of effeminate or code for homosexuals. Homosexuals, <laughs> and but, homosexuals. Homosexuals,、uh, but he's secure in his masculinity that he's not <laughs>、yes. threatened by wearing purple. purple. Way to own that Magneto <laughs> job. Cody and I will be back to talking about color in just a minute, but first, a word from our friends. 
favorite colors. Uh, I got too many of them, I think. <laughs> I like oranges and yellows uh, and reds because I kind of associate them with the smell of fruits yeah. that I like. I've always liked aqua yeah. because it's not blue and it's not green, but it's both. Yeah, and um, it's a quiet color and um, very restful. The smell of lilacs and lavender, which are both really evocative of, for me, sort of a, a nostalgia for something that maybe I never really had. So yeah, color is interesting. It is. What does brown represent? <laughs> okay, one thing I have to say about brown mm-hmm. is I think it's really funny how often the joke about people with brown eyes being full of poop yep. is made. Yeah. Why is that joke made so much? There are so many people with brown eyes. Yeah. Like why, why do brown-eyed people allow for that joke to stand? I don't know. I don't know. My dad has green eyes and my mom, my brother and I all have brown. And uh, somehow we let him get away with that for years. He would say that to you? Yes. Right to my face. <laughs> right. That means you're full of shit. Right to your Right face. to my face. He would look in my brown eyes and say this to me. I, I asked because um, I'd read something about UPS. and ups loves brown 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 the trucks are brown and the uniforms are brown and their signage is brown and but why what does brown represent what well i mean different things to different people but this thing that i read was uh saying that it represents something uh traditional or reliable and in that context, it made me think of, like, sepia photos and, okay. like, old-fashioned, reliable, traditional things. <laughs> Not like that like that whore FedEx with all those bright, flashy colors. The purple and green. I think FedEx ground is purple and green or something. And FedEx uh, air is, like, kind of a tomato bisque. Oh, and oh, a, oh nice. Yeah, and a blue. Um, one of them is sort of like a blue-based red, and one of them is sort of a yellow-based red. But they have a, a variety of of options for you. DHL is only one strong color scheme. Do you know the DHL Mm-mm. stuff? Uh, it's, it's yellow and red. Mm-hmm. They're a German company, I think, but their color scheme is all New Mexico to me. <laughs> So, but, uh, so that, but what kind of businesses use brown? We see bars, um, maybe hotels, cigars. Hotels. Booze. Well, I think anytime they want you to think of wood and leather and Mm. like old, traditional, often manly stuff. Right, right, right. Because wood and leather and (laughs) the The rumpus room is definitely... (laughs) Wood panels, yes. and there's, yeah, there's definitely um, cigars and uh, fine scotch. Yeah, the them. Elks Club. Yes. Stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. It's funny because, I mean, color has definitely always, throughout history, signified fanciness. Mm-hmm. I mean, color costs way more than brown. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. like if you're going to, like, show your prestige, yeah, you're going to use purple, right? Because, yeah. like... 
to get purple, you have to find those crazy little mollusks in the Mediterranean and yeah, ring them out. Yeah, blue pigment was was really hard to come by. Yeah, so it's interesting that um I guess right, but photos age and uh it's easy to think that it was a, a kind of a monochromatic world back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, before we learned how to clean old art, colors were way more muted. And then they cleaned the Sistine Chapel ceiling and now it's <laughs> and like, Whoa. like crazy bright. <laughs> yeah. I wear a lot of of uh, neutrals. Mm-hmm. I'm wearing gray and khaki now. Uh, I love uh, brown and muted drab greens. Um, purple is a relatively new uh, addition to my wardrobe because I... And I don't do this on purpose. I realized one day that I wrap myself in drab, boring, please don't look at me colors. Oh. I think, I like to think that I think they're very tasteful. <laughs> that I'm, I'm being, uh, I'm being so sophisticated. And um, when I was with my ex, he was always wearing all of the patterns, all of the colors, mm-hmm. sometimes in really offensively clashing ways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I was always sort of jealous of that freedom. Yeah, there's almost, I mean, I, I kind of dress like that. Um, kind, kind of dress like you that. You have quotes. greatly inspired me to let pink and green live together. <laughs> I, I used I to think, think of those they... as things that should be in separate rooms. <laughs> I mean, I wore only black for 10 years and... That was great, you know. It was there was a, a good reason for that. I definitely just couldn't be bothered to to do more than to wear the same fucking outfit every day. You recall? <laughs> like, yeah. I wore a black t-shirt and dark jeans every day for ten years, and you know. You had some socks that lasted that long too. That's true. Those and the, the socks were the only place where uh, where, where shit got, got a little wild. Yeah, but um, it's it's a simple way to live if you don't have to think about clothes. Right, but then when I started making my own clothes, I was like, well, why would I buy this black fabric if this fabric has pink squirrels, pink squirrels on it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, I don't I don't like choosing. Um, yeah, so I, I think, wear them all I, think at once. I would do the same thing. If I was making my own clothes, I would probably get more adventurous fabrics. Right. <laughs> it's funny, too, because I feel like I can't disappear anymore at all when I'm wearing those outfits. No. I mean, I'm, <clears throat> I can be kind of a shy person, but like, forget it. Like, there's no, there's no room for that. <laughs> When you're wearing... That will actually uh, attract people to come and talk to yes, you. Yes, yes, exactly. There. Or scare them away. <laughs> well, lately I've been really, really interested in paint. Um, okay. Which as is a painter, like, that's As a that's painter. Important. But like I, I haven't identified as a painter for my entire life. It's only been like this year that I decided I'm going to be a painter. Um I still don't really think of myself that way. I'm more of a sculptor that like tries out that like tries to use paint sometimes um, with mixed results, you know, like still like not a great painter. Like so when I was growing up, my my dad was a folk artist and made like wooden whirly gigs and pink flamingo lawn ornaments and things. Sure. Paint was definitely something. Painting was something that happened a lot in my house. Our like little areas or little studio areas were in like separate corners of the kitchen we use the same sink to wash our brushes. 
um, he would be painting like vast quantities of pink flamingo lawn ornament bodies. Right. <laughs> but I feel like I've been using paint for most of my life, kind of like more like a folk artist, more like I'm painting a puppet or. And since so much of your paintings are three dimensional. Right. There's a puppet on I it. I definitely like fall into that trap. Not that it's a bad thing. It's just I, I've been realizing this year that like I'm really trying to push myself to think about paint in a different like think about the actual language of painting and applying it in its own right, um, which is weird. It's been weird to kind of try to tease that out. Sure. Um, as long as I've known you, I, I've known you to be a person who paints. So I didn't realize that that didn't mean that you were a painter, <laughs> at least by your own definition or your own uh, identity. And so that's interesting that now you're interested in learning to paint, yeah, even I've, though you have been painting since I met you. Right. But because I think that in college, I, a lot of a lot of the time I stayed away from painting classes because they intimidated the hell out of me. The painting kids scared the living shit out of me. They that's, are that's, intense You're people. right to feel that way. Yeah. They're really, they are like, <laughs> they speak another language I don't understand. They smoke cloves. They, do, they definitely smoke They smoke cloves. cloves. <laughs> Always with the rollerblades. It's dangerous to be around them. I like that. I've also told, because I've started taking uh, some odd drawing classes here and there, and I've told people that uh, I've been drawing for a long time, and uh, I've, last year I was published a full full color like uh, proper length children's book that I illustrated all by myself so maybe it's Amazing. time to start learning to draw <laughs> there are a lot of professions where you can be maybe not finished learning but finished developing mm-hmm. like a airline pilot after a bunch of years when you get really good at landing and really good at like anticipating problems or whatever and then you have basically gotten to be as good as you're ever going to get and you're basically flying in the only style you're ever going to fly but if you're an artist it's constant evolution mm-hmm. and you're picking up new skills and developing other things and your style will change and blah 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 a major influence on me was newspaper comic strips. Mm. Uh, I think that's what led me to a lot of things. That's what led me to superheroes. That's what led me to fine art. That's what led me to, uh, I don't know, comedy. Um, I think, and when I was really young, I wanted to be a cartoonist. And then uh, for a while, I decided that was impractical and foolish. A A child can aspire to that, but uh, you really should have a career. And then I was interested in other kinds of things. And then I even gave up visual art and was focused on writing. And it was only in the last few years that I have decided that, no, I still do have a strong interest in comics and that that's a good way to be a visual artist and a writer at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was really little, I was into the far side. And I know everybody says this, but I was also really in, uh, inspired by Calvin and Hobbes. Mm-hmm. The The art was sort of um, minimal or economical. Calvin looked like just a collection of dots and lines that were sort of spilled onto the page. And, and so expressive. I yes. Mean, he was just like a mood. Things were just suggested and you get so much out of it. You can get this emotional range from his face or from his body language. 
uh, Calvin had these different characters he would fantasize that he was. Uh, one was like a like a film noir detective uh, with like really stark lighting, and one of them was a space adventurer. And you would often see what looked like a like a nineteen fifties uh, like pulp sci fi comic with this adult male protagonist. Uh, that is Calvin's imagination, and he's. Uh, f- fighting this terrible uh, alien tyrant who's trying to throw him in the lava pit. And then by the last panel, it turns out that's his mom trying to make him take a bath or something. (laughs) Uh, So I was really impressed with the way it looked like he was telling a completely different story with a different style of art, uh, which planted the seed that if this medium isn't working for you for the story you want to tell, if you just change the way you're going about it, you can force it into allowing you to tell the right story. And the other one was Mutz. Do you remember Mutz? Just a little bit, but pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. It uh, The art looked like, like Fritz the Cat from the 1930s or something. It had this really old-timey, steamboat willy, stylized aesthetic about it. Uh, but it taught me that... Um, that you can also mess with the format in other ways. Like the the first panel of each of the Sunday comics would always be some famous painting or image or work of art or style of art that he would somehow integrate his like wacky dog and cat characters into. And I thought that was really cool. That's really cool. This episode of Bait Switch Radio is recorded under a blanket fort in beautiful Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts, and mixed by me, Lucy V. Our theme music was performed by Queen Hilma, produced by Chestin Van Huss with thanks to Milwaukee Record. Thanks for tuning in. Don't let anyone budget your race car mechanics. tastes like poison. <laughs> you know when you're eating this, this is far from healthy.